to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How you doing, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to open up the kimono and get all the details from the last game before they start to count a rewatch, the omissions of things we may have missed from the Reaction Podcast more of a tape study than anything. We'll get to the PFF numbers and we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Well, didn't sleep a whole lot on Saturday night. Obviously, the news that everyone knows about was a big part of that. And then like random smoke alarms going off in my house at four o'clock in the morning after I had just gone to bed. So that was... That was cool, but I wanted to watch the game today to occupy the mind, and then again, you know, last night and today, I should say, to get a good feel for what we saw out there, and I feel good about a lot of the observations from the Reaction Podcast, but as always, the tape will always, always give you more, so we go back and watch that. Let's just go down the notes here in kind of a random order. I just kind of jotted things down and filled them back in as I I saw fit, so stay with me here. We're going to try to learn about some football here on this podcast, and I mean, it starts from the first drive of the game, doesn't it? <clears throat> first play of the game. I mean, how do you not start there? Tua said that he could have thrown that ball better, and maybe he could have, you know, sure. But man, that was a pretty damn good spot for that ball to wind up because I think that if it's much further, you know, Tyreek didn't really slam on the brakes. He just kind of dove back across the middle of the field away from that defender. I'm not sure if he runs it down if it's five yards deeper than that. Perhaps most impressively, that that was a too high look that wound up as quarters post-snap, and that means you have four deep, and <laughs> Tyreek still ran them off of it. It makes no sense. I'm trying to find ways to laugh today. That, that was one of them, especially the picture of Kayvon Wallace and all the ice that he had on his body and saying that Tyreek Hill's the fastest man he ever saw. That's the fastest kid alive. Yeah, it's just beer. It's just beer. That's the kind of play that sets the tone in that game. Uh, it had the Eagles on the back foot the rest of the night, so much so that Miami were able to get 203 rushing yards and 215 passing yards just from play action. Pretty absurd statistics there. And I really covered Tua's game in depth on the last pod, but I don't think I truly appreciated the location of all those throws. I mean, even the miss to Craycraft. Like, one of the things I, one of the most encouraging reps of the night was that miss, I thought, and here's why. Because Craycraft has a deep out route, a route that takes some time to try to convert a third and long situation and the rush is going to arrive before Tua can hit the top of his drop, hitch up, and deliver, and you see him speed up the process. And man, those of you that were with me back in the Lockdown Dolphins days, when I would gush over his college tape in that 2020 or I guess 2019 college season, you know, Saturday watch I would do that was such a big part of the podcast after the games on Sunday, and Tua was always the forefront of that, it was... That thing that I loved more than anything else besides his ball placement, you see him chop the feet and get himself aligned to his target really ahead of when it should have been able to happen because his, he's so light on his feet, quick quick twitch and quick glide and easy glide on those feet that if Craycraft is able to get out of that break clean and the DB covers it well and kind of throws him off that route, I think it might have been a completion. So I was encouraged by that. I do have one note that is anything but gushing on him. 
And that was the sack. I think he could have maybe gone to Miles on that little in-cut route that he ran from that plus split. It was well covered, but the rush arc of that left defensive end, he really only had one lane that he could have taken for a sack because Austin Jackson ran him around the arc and behind the play, but the scramble kind of kept him alive as Jackson wound up pushing his man right to where Tua eventually moved to. That happens sometimes. It's a good second effort by the pass rusher when you don't win your initial rep. So some bad luck there, but I also think Tua maybe could have mitigated that with a decision earlier in the down, but that was it, man. It's really tough to get on him for that. If there was one thing I would, it would be that. But what a night for QB1. Let's go back with an eye on the non-quarterback stuff here. And first, Trent Sherfield, he's one of my favorite players. I'm a huge fan of his game. And by the way, I saw someone say on my mentions that calling myself a fan of a player is like disingenuous. How? Like I, I just, if a guy plays a certain style, I'm going to appreciate that. And he's one of those guys. Did you guys see the route that he ran on the Craycraft touchdown? He comes off and slow plays his release and walks him up to square him up. And that's a key because you have to have that D-bells, that defensive back's hips parallel to the line of scrimmage because if he opens those hips and does a drop step at all, he might get tipped off that we're throwing the ball right over his head to somebody else. And you actually see him start to be like, what's going on here? What's he doing? And then the minute he does that, Sherfield rips that route off to the outside and he has to close on that. And it creates that window over the top for Tua and him and the offensive line and River Craycraft did the rest from there. <clears throat> I thought Greg Little was awesome in this game. I saw him going and getting blocks. Peep the long ball to Tyreek. He goes and gets his guy. Don't be patient and wait for him to get to you. Go get him. Doesn't give an inch of knockback on that play because you shorten the runway of the pass rusher. You look over the other side with Austin Jackson, really the entire line. They're doing that all night. Go get your blocks, man. And they're doing it. They're hitting them. Tua had almost three seconds per drop back to throw in this game talked about it last week whether you're manufacturing pockets and all these rollouts and play action and, and using the flow of the running game to get the you know the, the blitzers or potential second level defenders eyes kind of in the wrong spot or you're just going out there and executing it's a combination of both we've seen it for three weeks now it's a good sign going into the season there was a great film breakdown this summer by Kurt Warner on YouTube where he talked about Tyreek Hill's fine attention to detail as a route runner where there was, you know, these options within certain plays where there's space or opening and the receiver could find that, show the quarterback his numbers and just say, hey, let's get this window because it's here. But like the attention to detail that he would do would take that extra step to drive further, to force a, you know, a backpedal step or a, a guy to flip his hips more than he would have if you took that space. And that fine attention to detail creates bigger windows within the offense. And that was kind of the point of Kurt Warner's breakdown of how polished he is as a route runner. And so with that in mind, go watch the second catch of the game, that crossing route, because the backside safety comes down to cover that thing, which is the only way you're going to defend those, those crossing routes, especially in man coverage, because you're just not going to chase that guy across the field and keep up with him. But the way Tyreek presses his route into the defender, like he was open and had space to run to, but he took his route. Like it's like pressing the toes of the defensive back on a vertical route, press him because that makes him have to honor the fact that you could go by him and has to take that step backwards opposed to a drive step forward and that just creates another half second where that's a lifetime in this league and in the sport he just understands the angles and the nature of space in this game so well I thought we saw more of that in just two steps he ran two routes he ran two routes and he caught two passes for 64 yards he had a third play where he ran block it's it's so stupid but like in the best way possible 
Uh, what about Seathan Carter last night? What a block he had on Raheem Mostert's 26-yard gallop, and what a seal by Austin Jackson on that play. You know, I feel like I've been talking about this for a while, but when you've got backs with Raheem's speed, Chase Edmonds' speed, and you block it well, you're going to get explosive plays. 26 yards in the ground game is a game changer. It changes everything, especially with the way this offense functions, right? And what a nice first glimpse at 31 in a Dolphins uniform. But if you really want to go get jazzed, Go check out his pass pro rep on Tua's lone incompletion. Like, we can find positives and everything, right? On the incomplete pass, go watch 31 step up and pass pro. Bang! Go get him. Uh, Miles Gaskin's first run. First off, Austin Jackson moves his guy and washes him down the line two gaps. Liam Eichenberg pulls and seals the lane while Rob Hunt is up in the second level, wiping out a linebacker. Durham Smythe climbs to make a block of his own in that second level. Man, good work across the board, boys. And gosh, that comeback route by Trent Sherfield later on in the game. He gets vertical, stacks the defensive back where you get him on your back and you're, you're, you're staying vertical, so he's underneath the route. And when he's in that position where you eventually want to get to, like you better be sharp and you better sell a head fake and you better get off that top of that route, off that stem quickly, and he sure as hell does. Bends it back, and the ball is right there when he gets back down that stem. That chemistry for Tua right now, man, it's clicking. That Cedric Wilson catch and run, the entire Eagles defense flowed with the play fake. The second level looked like it looked like a foosball table where you have three guys on the one, you know, the one lever, and then when you kind of yank that lever back towards you to try to block a shot when your when your opponent has like a free shot at goal, and they all move simultaneously because they're on that same track. That's what it re- reminded me of, like. It, they were all three, four false steps in the wrong direction. Then on the quick pop to Mike Gesicki, you see a safety come up to fit the run. And there goes Mike Gesicki right behind him. Very early returns is how simple this offense can make the keys for the quarterback. Because on that play, you see the safety drop down. And that's all you need to know that your 6'6 tight end is going to be open without an eagle within five yards of him. This offense is fun, man, which is which is crazy because Mike, like we'll hear from his press conference, coach said <laughs> this was all fundamentals and technique. Like this wasn't game planning or scheming. This is guys going out and winning with technique. I mean, they were, for my money, 3-0 and in the practices, the joint practices, and you come out with that effort in that game. Two weeks, man. Check your pulse. Uh, Solomon Kinley's second-level block on a Miles Gaskin run just was indicative of the, the kind of preseason that he has had. The big man's moving. He's rolling now. And Seathan Carter, back to him, really damn good in the, in the run-blocking game, man. He had a good cut block on a Gaskin run in the second quarter where he kind of fakes a move to the left, and then it's a wind-back counter, and he comes out and scoops out that backside uh, unblocked rusher. Really impressive work from Seathan Carter. Also caught the touchdown pass in this game. I mentioned Hunter Long in the blocking game on the podcast yesterday on Savon Ahmed's 14-yard rip. He comes across the formation and split flow, and he really had to sacrifice himself because he doesn't have a clean shot on the guy that he has to get blocked. He squeezed in tight to Greg Little at that left tackle position, and you kind of just see him throw himself into the face of the fan there just to get a body on him. Because, like, he wasn't like... There wasn't a clean shot on him to come around and make that hit. So he just thought, like, if I can get in the way of this, and he did, and it sealed that edge uh, for a 14-yard run. And then I just want to mention the timing and pacing of River Craycraft's routes. He is so savvy, man. The way he he breaks off those things, it angles back to the quarterback. But just the timing of it within the offense, you can see he's a guy that has been in the system before. Let's go back to Greg Little here, who stayed in for the majority of the game. Haven't gotten an extended look at him with the time that he's missed this training camp in preseason. 
but I thought he was really, really good in this game. He's got a wide base, very good hand placement, getting all kinds of drive at the point of attack in the running game. And that was an area we discussed last week, right? That swing tackle spot. He sure as heck made his case for that job last night, uh, recording the podcast here on Sunday. <clears throat> I think him and Solomon Kinley, who was, you know, who's had a really good preseason, a couple of weeks of, of practice and now the preseason games, he's been great in all those. Both of those guys stood out to me in the rewatch. Uh, Hunter Long's touchdown that was not, the notes are all over the place. I apologize for that. Um, not really, because it's just kind of how I wrote them down. But it's a pretty similar route to the one that Coach praised last week in his press conference. Those sort of post-up, box-out whip routes where you're tied in down in the red zone. I mean, if you can throw it against the leverage there, which we know Tua can do, they can sure as hell be fruitful. And then the shot from Skylar Thompson to him early in the third quarter. Wow, I like this guy. I really like this guy. That was some shot. And with Hunter, a subtle little duck under the the backer who's buzzing to the flat. You see that drill with receivers, and I see the linebackers do it all the time too in their individual drills where they work on pad level operating under some type of apparatus that doesn't allow you to stand up all the way. Like you have to kind of get into your crouch and you shuffle, shuffle, slide. I saw that application on this route where you, you run under, like I remember last year they had it. I haven't seen it this year, but they have those like, you know, it's got like a vertical post and then a crossbar over the top and the receivers would run under those to get in and out of their breaks, sink your hips and get off the top of that stem. You saw Hunter Long do that on this play to avoid a reroute. Really good stuff from him. Get off the line, get that pad level low around the contact and accelerate through that little hip sink. Good stuff there from Hunter Long. Michael Dieter showed his ability to get out in space on a Sony Michelle run down in the red zone. Man, he had to get some width to get that block where he's kind of stretching wide outside the numbers. He goes and gets it. This entire offensive line. I mean, Rob Jones had some good work. Adam Pankey had some run at left guard. and He was good there. Remember, he's a guy that's cross-training at center, was a tackle prior. So he's looked pretty good at various points playing all five positions along an offensive line. Kept an eye on Kellen Deesh late in the game. Man, he had some really nice spatial awareness. Kind of has a good feel for the flow of the play, like when to help, when to climb, and always comes to balance and control and space. Thought Blaze Andrews fired off the ball for a good down block on a Jared Doak's first down run. Really everyone getting involved in some way, shape, or form. And how about those backs, man? They all played so well. Like even we didn't talk about Zaquandre White yet. The back-to-back runs that he had late in that fourth quarter, super impressive with the burst, the quick feet, the cuts to accelerate through those cuts. This team is deep in so many spots, as we'll hear from Coach McDaniel in just a little bit. Let's go ahead and take our first break, come back on the other side, and do the defensive film breakdown and some PFF data. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We are re-watching the Dolphins' preseason finale, a 48-10 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles with very heavy hearts this week with the loss of Jason Jenkins. Well, he's going to be a big part of the podcast going forward, guys. He was he was my, like, he was kind of like second in command on the podcast. That sounds funny to say because he was like the boss of, of so many people here because he, you know, he's a high-ranking executive who, you know, earned his way into that role by working his butt off for, for decades and, but he was like, it was, we talk sometimes about like, this is you and me, man, in this podcast. So he was a big, big part of that. And you know, he'll be a big part of it going forward too. But, uh, watching the game on Sunday was a nice way to get my mind off of that. I'm going to pick it up here with the defensive notes and starting with really that first team defense, because I just kept going back and writing down more notes. Jalen Phillips got 
got Juice's game ball. And when he said that on the postgame show, I was like, really? I thought there was guys that had more of an impact than Jalen. But watching the film, no. No, he was really, really, really good. He was really, really good. Uh, His dip and rip to shorten that corner is so impressive. Uh, He ran a little cross chop on, I think it was the second play of the game. And it's a screen pass the other way. He wins immediately, so he has to stay active and and just kind of continue that rush arc back to the opposite side of the football, which he does. And he finds the ball carrier and cuts him down. It's ridiculous. He doesn't have the crazy sack numbers this preseason, but my goodness, he's been so impactful. The same way you notice his effort and appreciate the things that he does to help other guys make plays is what we see with Christian Wilkins, who on the second drive, the first play they ran at Wilkins, and they get a little bit of movement with the double team, but then 94 drops that anchor and gets back inside, coming back over the top of the block, and the bat cuts off of that, and he teams up with Jerome Baker for a stop in the running game. Wilkins had an awesome, awesome game. Him and Phillips going to get some run here in the notes. The very next play, Phillips, Wilkins, and Benito Jones all win their pass rush one-on-ones immediately, and Minshew... Cougs just has to eat it and throw the football at the feet of his running back. Back to Phillips again here. (laughs) I've made this point about his pass rush arsenal and the ability to cultivate a plan and exploit the knowledge that the opposing tackle has on him of that plan. After that cross chop, he fakes this lateral step inside, then does a snatch and pull to get around the corner and hit Minshew to impact the pass. I can't wait to watch him play 40 snaps in a game. I said that a few weeks in a row now because I think that he has this idea in his head. If I do this, this, and this, it can get me in this position, this part, and later in the game I can do that. Like, I, think he, I think he operates on that high level of a football IQ standpoint. And you pair that with his, his measurables and his strength and his speed and his motor. That draft class last year, man, I think it might be legendary. Uh, later, back to Wilkins, has a pick stunt on Raekwon Davis's guy. And even after the pick, he flattens back to the quarterback and joins up with Melvin Ingram for a hit on the quarterback, who also won his pass rush rep with straight speed rush, which is, you know, he's a guy that can win with bowl with power and speed. And that forces an errant throw. And, you know, about Wilkins, like, the way he stays on his feet and, like, it's almost like Chase Edmonds as a running back where I talk about the ability to accelerate through his cuts Christian kind of does that as a pass rusher, but he does it through contact in a way where he stays on balance. It's kind of uncanny, man. Like go back and watch the game and just watch the way he like, like he'll squirt through this contact where it looks like there's no way he's going to get through that gap. And he just does. He's like an octopus, like getting through those little keyholes, even though he's, you know, a massive human being. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, And that was the case, you know, talking about these pass rush situations Throughout the entire first half, even when they had guys open, they couldn't get them the football because the rush just kept coming in waves. Uh, in the secondary, let's see, I'm scattered here again. Noah Igbenogany's pass breakup we saw, you know, get in there, make a play, get out of the game. What a good night that was for Igbenogany. Really good work to get his hands uh, on, the, on the receiver to keep himself in phase while also disrupting the timing of that route. That was a big part of why that pass went incomplete. Uh, back to Melvin Ingram again, very scattered here today. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm trying to use some, some humor and, uh, light hearted stuff to diffuse my, my real emotions here. So, uh, stay with me, but you can already tell the intangible impact that Melvin Ingram's going to have as a pass rusher here. He sets up a, a pick stunt to free up Christian and he moved the guy that he picked pretty significantly. He's a powerful, powerful dude and still has lots of juice in the tank. Uh, Eric Rowe, man, the edge that he set in the running game multiple times over and over was a big part of my takeaways on the MiamiDolphins.com piece and the takeaways podcast on Sunday. 
But what I didn't see on that play that I talked about was Christian Wilkins go from backside three technique, which is, you know, inside the shoulder pads of the right tackle. The run goes to the left and Christian works all the way down the line and strings out the outside zone play. (laughs) What? That dude weighs 315 pounds, whatever it is. Like that is not, he shouldn't be able to move that way. Clayton Fedgelin was a big part of Campbell's pick six that he had. The way he closed and took away the access from Reed Sinet on that wheel route to the running back, I think forced him into that bad decision because he wanted to go that spot and saw it's not there. But here comes the pass rush. That's why you keep coming after a guy, keep coming after a guy, right? Eventually you force a bad decision because I don't want to get hit again. And it's a great play by Elijah Campbell to finish it off there at the end uh, with the catch and with the run back. Benito Jones had himself one heck of a game, didn't he? Seeing lots of that pass rush and a phone booth ability we saw back at Ole Miss. He gets a guy leaning, then uses the strength and really just increases the momentum and leverage advantage that he has based upon those heavy hands and that that low pad level. He's had a good run here in the preseason. And then, my goodness, the Egwavon sack that he had was the result of just pure effort. He had to come off three blocks to get his prize, which was a sack. That dude, his motor doesn't quit. I'm, I'm a big fan of his game as well. Channing Tindall continues to show the flashes of what he's capable of. Man, he's playing fast and making some splash plays. That one long run for the touchdown, you know, he missed that tackle. That's okay. I mean, you got to get that corrected, but... I think you, you take some of that with what he can do in, in terms of the flashes and the, and the splash play potential he has. I don't have any exact notes on this, but Brandon Jones, Javon Holland, and Landon Roberts were all so damn solid again. Just a total team effort really here. How about some pro football focus numbers? I don't have defense. I'll cover that on the next podcast we do because they're not posted yet. But uh, offensively, they're up. And it's always fun to do these after a game like this. I mentioned the play action numbers. As a team, the Dolphins were 12 of 14 on play pass for 215 yards and three touchdowns. Tua was six for six for 121 in the touchdown. Uh, Tua was five for six with a buck 08 on passes that traveled at least 10 air yards. He was four for five in the intermediate for 57 yards. And it feels good to get that confirmation on my training camp tweets, right? Sherfield for 15, Tyreek for 18. There's Gasicki for 17. Now he's got Waddle for 21. It's been like that all camp. It was like that last night. He had 2.98 seconds to throw on average the entire game. Not bad, man. Tyreek Hill's yards per route ran. Oh, 32. <laughs> Two's good, by the way. Uh, the best guys in the league at the end of the season, the Justin Jeffersons, the Tyreek Hills are going to be up around like 2.5, maybe. So yeah, 32. <laughs> Lynn Bowden had 13, the long catch and run. The one game sample size is not a great example of this, but it is laughable to talk about because, you know, Tyreek is Tyreek. Craycraft had 4.14. That one's a little more, you know, translatable because he played so many snaps. Mike Gesicki, 3.6. Some good numbers there. How about Yak Yards? Bowden had 37. Craycraft had 26. The Dolphins as a team had 85 after the catch. Uh, Force missed tackles from running backs. Gaskin had four. That would have been a season high for him last year. Jared Dokes had three. White and Michelle had two each. Savon Ahmed had one. We're talking about six carries for Miles and four forced missed tackles. 11 carries for Dokes, three missed tackles. Four for Savon, a missed tackle. Four for Zaquandre White, two missed tackles. And five carries for Michelle with two missed tackles. That's pretty damn good work from the running back room. Yards after contact average, Miles Gaskin, 5.83 yards after initial contact. White and Ahmed both had 4.25. Dokes, 
and Pro Football Focus tabbed the Dolphins with five pressures allowed in the game. Nobody had more than one. Coleman and Robert Jones, one apiece on 18 pass blocking snaps. It's a great number. Kinley, 18. Dieter, 18. Greg Little, 23. Not a single pressure among those three, nor was there a pressure allowed from Austin Jackson, Rob Hunt, Connor Williams, and Liam Eikenberg, who all played eight pass blocking snaps. Again, defense numbers not yet posted. Like last week, we'll cover on the next edition here of the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and get to Coach Mike McDaniel's media availability from Sunday. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Before we get to Coach, there was a report of Trey Flowers signing with the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk about that more if and when it becomes official, but I want to go ahead and put it here into the podcast. Let's get next to Coach Mike McDaniel, who first was asked about Byron Jones' availability, which he gave us a, a good answer on, said that his situation has a lot to do with not just him, but other players in the team, and they're looking forward to having some clarity on that here in the near future. But he did say, which of course, Byron has to come off the PUP by Tuesday in order to not be placed on the initial PUP to start the season, which would cost him the first four games of the year. Coach did say he's not coming off of his initial statement about feeling good about the progress and being on track for that to not happen. So we'll find out about that on Tuesday if or if not Byron Jones comes off PUP. Next, we'll go to Coach for some audio here. He was asked about the difficult decisions uh, that were put on his plate with the way guys performed last night to make cuts on this 53-man roster. Here's Coach on how the game on Saturday night impacted how difficult these decisions are going to be to make these cuts on Tuesday. It's one of the things that you know, uh, being in the business for a while, that uh, you you hope to have these tough decisions. Yesterday did make it tougher. There were some um, some guys that uh, on both sides of the ball that maybe hadn't got as many opportunities, um, and for the most part, there was there was guys that mo- most players put their best foot forward yesterday. So um, that is a good problem to have, uh, but it is it is a problem uh, that that only benefits the Miami Dolphins. Um, so we're we're um, leaving no stone unturned and making sure that we make the best decisions. Um, Chris and I have uh, talked at length. I mean, we've been talking for for the last couple weeks, um, and uh, specifically on on these roster decisions, um, we talked at length yesterday before the game to make sure we we're on the same page and everyone got uh, ample opportunity. Then uh, talked again today. Um, met met today at a good amount of time we'll we'll meet tomorrow morning um and as long as it takes uh but yeah it is the the more good players you have the the more difficult that is um but that's that's something that we um embrace because we know we're on the right track you know it's funny i i quit fantasy football years ago i did play in the uh the dcc league last year should have won that thing, but Tyreek getting injured in that Steelers game cost me my semifinal game, and then I had the most points in the entire league on championship weekend in the consolation bracket, but I'm not going to complain. I did retire years and years ago, but came back for that just to get second or third place again. 
Yeah. But, you know, in fantasy, like, you have to make decisions about, you know, your, your roster going into the season. And I remember thinking, like, how stressful it is to decide, like, do I trade this guy or do I pick up that guy? How do I make this decision in the draft? I can't imagine that decision for these guys because there's so many good players in this football team. And it must just be stressful thinking about how you have to get down to 53 when you know that some of the guys you're going to cut can play. That's what you're going to hear from Coach next here talking about the receiver and running back room. This first part where he talks about they knew this going into this, that they were going to have to cut guys that are NFL players. Here's Coach on the difficulty of making this roster as a running back or wide receiver. Oh, in particular, those, those two groups um, have not only, you know, from the onset we knew that it was going to be those are going to be two. Um, we we knew we were going to have more NFL players than roster spots available. Um, that that was we we knew from the the onset. But what was also um, really really enjoyable as a coach to observe is you always hope that you have the right type of people in a competitive room that channel. Um, that competitive uh, uh, onslaught in the right direction. And so what that affords you is players getting better as a result of the competition. I think in both groups you've seen that. You've seen um, multiple playmakers um, really from top to bottom in, in both groups. That's what's super rare is you have, uh, you know, at your, your final 53 decision time um, – every player in the position group has been on the field making plays. So that, that does not make it easy. Um, they, they've known that the whole time, which is why uh, they, what, I'm, what I'm proud about and what I'm happy about is each and every player um, in those two groups I see as an NFL player. So, uh, you know, the, the one thing that you can rest um, – you can rest easy at night is I feel like uh, they'll all have opportunities regardless which ones make it um, in the National Football League uh, because they've taken their game uh, to another level and put it on tape. Coach was also asked about Skylar Thompson and the difficult decision he has given the staff about keeping a third quarterback. And I just liked what Coach said about how it's not very often a seventh-round draft pick gets recognition around the entire league. It shows you uh, what Skylar has shown in this preseason. I also liked that he talked about it's not just the completion percentage or the quarterback rating, uh, the way he has just kind of taken on the responsibility of the quarterback position. Again, this team is just deep quarterback, running back, receiver, like gold jacket, green jacket. They're deep across the roster, man. It's, it's a good football team this year. Uh, let's go next here to this question about our, our guy, Jason Jenkins. And, man, the mood shifted when he started talking about J.J. once again. But we'll go ahead and play it here for you guys because Coach does such a good job of kind of saying, like for me, what I'm feeling a lot of the time here with, with, uh, you know, with Jason. So let's go to Coach. You know, I, I was just – Especially in moments like that, you're, it's hard to have, it's hard to speak from anywhere, at least for me, from anything but the heart. Um, and it was just another testament of, of who, he, who he was as a person. Um, that, you know, there's numerous people that um, unexpectedly were thanking me for what uh, you know, I, I was just doing, speaking 
um, to what I thought was right and, you know, just kind of being um, 100% transparent as I try my, my best to do. Uh, but I think it's even more telling how, how many people have reached out and said how much they appreciate that. Um, and, which doesn't surprise me, um, but it just kind of doubles down. Uh, we should all be that fortunate um, to leave a legacy like that. Uh, and, um, you know, there's... It, it definitely hasn't gone away. I don't think it will for a, a long, long time. And that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway take I could have is that um, I, I could only hope to leave a legacy like, like he did with, with people um, that I work with. Man, well said, Coach. And I, I do want to put some more work into this down the road, so I won't get into it right now. But the things that Jason accomplished here, like you know, PR, media relations, staff of the of the league, or whatever that award was, he was a big part of that. Dolphins unites. Like this dude accomplished so much, man. Ugh. Yeah. Um, next, Coach was asked about some goals that you might have had for the preseason that you accomplished. Here's Coach talking about how he feels his team did. Compared to his expectations this month of August, um, I think we got better every game. I think, um, I think uh, on both sides of the ball, there's a trick in the in the National Football League um, that you kind of have to excel at to do to do well and have your dreams realized, and that's to focus on the controllables and to not whether, whether you do something well or you do something poor to just focus on the process and getting better without ignoring the, or with ignoring the noise and not getting caught up in things that don't really matter. What matters is getting better. Um, and I think guys, uh, really focused on that and that's the only way, um, you know that, you know all whether it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter last night, um, I thought guys, we were we were making plays on both sides of the ball because of technique, not because of scheme. And that there's no shortcut to that. So um, that harnessed the goal uh, that that I had from the beginning, which was that we focus on what actually matters um, and that's getting better at what we do learning from everything and finding you know there was probably there's a ton of examples in this in this game and over the whole preseason of people turning what in the short term seems bad or seems as adversity using that um, to uh, be the sale that helps them get better um, and I thought that was on display last night. Coach was asked about if he intends to 
attend any high school or college football games locally during this next couple of weeks as they get away from the field a little bit. And he's talked about work-life balance and how it's going to be time to be daddy for a little bit. And I thought that was awesome. Talking about swim lessons uh, that he's been, his daughter's been taking and how he can go. <laughs> uh, he's more of a swim survivor, he said, not a swim enthusiast. I can make it to the side of the pool, he says, but I've there's no stroke I've perfected. <laughs> Just uh, good stuff, coach. We appreciate the levity, especially on a day like this. Let's go ahead and finish up here with a great quote about Greg Little, who I obviously praised in the film segment here on the podcast. But his, his comments here about taking advantage of every potential rep opportunity for Greg Little and what he did this summer when he was you know down and injured and not playing. Here's coach on Greg Little, his performance last night and his work so far. Uh, in the month of August, I thought he did. I thought he did a great job. I was I was proud of him. Um, he uh, he. You wouldn't have thought that he that he was um, progressing through an injury. I, I thought that he. You can't hide from the tape, and what I saw was a guy that, while hasn't been getting um, physical reps, he's been getting mental reps, and and watching his teammates perform. Uh, the desired tasks and learning from them because he came back um, and played at a level that was higher higher than when he left, which is um, something that I never lose sight of that is, is a big deal to me um, and that uh, I, I was happy for him he was able to do. All right, that's it. That's all. That is the podcast. I don't have an exact schedule for you guys for what's going to be coming up next. I do want to get to a mailbag here shortly. We will have the 53-man roster announcement on Tuesday, I believe, if not Wednesday morning on that podcast. Uh, I'll get back to you guys on that. We'll do some fun uh, season preview content stuff. We'll talk more about Jason, obviously, and just get you ready here for the Patriots. You know, uh, 11 days away or 12 days or 13 days. I, I don't know what day it is. Uh, away from that Patriots opener. We can't wait to watch that. We'll preview that game in full and depth as well and give you some keys of that game where the Dolphins can, you know, maybe exploit some opportunities where they have to be careful against guarding against vulnerabilities of their own. All the stuff you've come to expect here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. I saw plenty more of those coming in over the last week. We'll go ahead and read those on the mailbag. Appreciate you guys doing that for us. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. 40,000 followers. Thank you for that as well. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Pod, Ronnie Brown Part 2 coming up this week. You don't want to miss that. Also, our weekly Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday at 8 o'clock with me, Seth, and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities uh, for Dolphins today, some drive time, as well as fish tank content. I'm going to go ahead and strike up the song right here. Different today, Texas Tech fight song for Jason Jenkins right here on the podcast. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com, the three takeaways piece live up on the site right now. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. Fins up, Caroline, Daddy is coming home. Fight on, Raiders, fight on.